The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, we are continuing our study through the book of Revelation, and this morning we are in chapter 10. So we'll be looking at the entire chapter, chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. This is God's word. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, angel, The mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey." And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the word of God. Let's pray together, ask God for his help as we come before his word. Our Father, we thank you that you are a communicating God. Uh, You want to be known, Lord, and you invite us to fellowship with you. We thank you for your word and that we can hear your very words and study and ponder them together and in doing so, know you, know what you're like, what you're doing, who we are, what you call for from us. Uh, We thank you for your best word, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, and what he has done to bring us to yourself as your children. We come before you now in his name, and we pray the Holy Spirit would help us open our eyes and our hearts to hear your word and to bring about the change you desire to have occur within us. Lord, we want to humble ourselves before you, submit ourselves to you, And we pray, Lord, that each person who hears your word today um, would see you in a new way, would trust you, would love you, would be changed by you. And I pray that you'd help me to teach this passage faithfully. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing our study through the book of Revelation. And as usually, we get a text full of images that seem very strange to us. So for instance, this morning we've got an enormous angel with a rainbow hat who straddles the earth and gives to John a small scroll 
I guess we're happy for John. It wasn't a large scroll because John has to eat it. But even then, we're not exactly sure what all this means. And so we back up. We remember Revelation um, is John's account of these visions he received from God in order to encourage God's people to live faithfully through tribulation. And of course, Revelation comes mainly in symbols, describing the realities of these last days between Jesus' first and his second coming. And to me, symbols are like artwork. They help us feel the truth. And so again, we remember, we've got to read Revelation symbolically and biblically, because these symbols don't come from out of nowhere. They're all nearly taken from the Old Testament. And as we understand what these realities meant in the Old Testament, we're then able to unpack how John is using them, see what it means for us. But of course, Revelation isn't all symbol. Along the way, it gives very clear, very important clues that help us understand what's going on and guide us along the way. And our passage this morning is no different. There's a very helpful clue in verse 11. John is told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So remember, at the end of the last chapter we saw, despite all of God's warnings, the world in general is not going to repent and turn to him. And now, in this next chapter, John is told he needs to keep speaking the word of God to this hard world anyway. So then we begin to realize the theme of this chapter. What is it about? It's about this. Um, How can God's people have the strength to keep speaking God's truth in a world that does not want to hear it? This was a big issue for our author, We just remember a little bit about who he is and what he said already. Um, This is the Apostle John. He was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus of Nazareth. John saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus risen. And John was called by Jesus to be an apostle, to proclaim with unique authority the truth of Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him to the world. And what an honor it must must have been to be an apostle. What a privilege. But did that calling make John's life easier? No, it did not make his life easier. It made it harder, much harder. We remember what John wrote, chapter 1, verse 9. This is how he introduces himself. He said, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So even the setting of John writing this book comes out of the setting of his being persecuted for faithfully teaching the truth about Jesus. Um, He was forced by a tyrannical government to leave his home, to suffer on an island reserved for political prisoners. And what was his crime? It was preaching that Jesus is Lord. It was preaching Jesus from God's word and what it means to follow him. And so here in chapter 10, John's commissioned yet again to speak for God in the midst of a world that doesn't want to hear it. And in fact, moving into chapter 11, we'll see that all of God's church in some way is commissioned to speak for God. We're commissioned to speak about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Every Christian 
is to be a faithful witness for Christ. And so here's this big question. How can we endure in being faithful witnesses even when doing so is painful? How can we keep going? What's going to motivate us to speak God's word faithfully in a world that often does not want to hear it? And this chapter answers that question. This, chance, uh, this chapter gives the answer to that question in four main parts. I think there's two things to see and two things to be that give us the strength to continue to be faithful witnesses. Two things to see. We need to see the cosmic Christ and the faithfulness of God. Two things to be. We need to have a humble, hungry heart, and we need to embrace our cruciform calling. Cosmic Christ, the faithfulness of God, humble, hungry heart, embracing the cruciform calling. So a little background. Uh, Revelation is mainly about the victory of Jesus Christ, our King. Jesus has triumphed. He is King now. He wins and so will his people. And so we've been seeing the truth of our times from the light of God's perspective for us in this book and seeing our times in this way helps us endure faithfully for him no matter the cost. Now, we remember much of the structure of Revelation is found in this framework of sevens. Uh, this framework helps us see the same time and situations from different angles. Again, this time, we're thinking about this age of tribulation between Jesus' first coming and his second when he returns. So just remembering where we've been, we had a, a vision of Jesus in the beginning of the book followed by seven letters to the churches. So we see how the church is to live faithfully for Jesus during this time. Then we had a vision of the throne room of God followed by the seven seals on the scroll. And those seals shows us the suffering of the church, the nature of the tribulation God's people need to endure. Then we had a vision of the altar before God's throne as he hears our prayers and the seven trumpets then. Remember echoing themes of the Exodus, the seven trumpets show us the beginning of the deliverance of the church as an unrepentant world experiences varieties of God's just wrath. So we've seen in these series of sevens, the faithfulness of the church, the suffering of the church, the beginning of the deliverance of the church. And now, just like there was a pause between the sixth and seventh seal, there's a pause between the sixth and seventh trumpet. The pause between the sixth and seventh seal was a picture of the sealing of God's church. And that meant that God is going to keep each of his people for himself and will certainly bring them home no matter what difficulties they face. The pause between the sixth and seventh trumpet is about the church too. It's about the witness of the church. It's about how we are to keep speaking even what are sometimes hard words to a hard world. How are we going to do that? Two things to see, two things to be. Verses 1 to 3, I think we see the cosmic Christ. Let me unpack what I mean. Obviously, you've got this person of massive importance, right? In this, in this vision, he's towering over creation, a foot on the sea, a foot on land. And many have thought, and I am persuaded to agree, that this is, in fact, a picture of Jesus. 
You might be doubting that, and that's okay, but I'll give you seven reasons why I think this is a picture of Jesus. Uh, Number one, he's wrapped in a cloud. If we remember, this nearby context of Revelation is full of themes from the Exodus. And if you're reading the book of Exodus, you see all through the book of Exodus, when God kind of experientially visits his people, guess what he comes like? He comes like this cloud. This mysterious, powerful, haunting, beautiful cloud. Uh, One example, Exodus 19, 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So cloud in the Old Testament often means the glory of God coming. This angel's wrapped in it. Second, there's the rainbow. There's a lot of allusions to the prophet Ezekiel in Revelation 10. When God appeared to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1, it looked like this. Here's what Ezekiel 1.28 says. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. So the rainbow signifies a manifestation of the beauty and the holiness, the glory of God. This angel's wrapped in the cloud. This angel has the rainbow on his head. Moreover, this angel has a face like the sun. Well, don't you remember in chapter 1, this vision of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. In Jesus Christ, it shows us uh, he is the glorious, eternal son of God. This angel looks like him. Fourth, there's his legs like a pillar of fire. It's a strange image, but again, we get the meaning for these symbols from the Old Testament. And back again in Exodus, Exodus 13, we remember it was uh, often the pillars of cloud and pillars of fire that would protect God's people. And they represented the very presence of God. Here's Exodus 13, 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So here's God's powerful presence, protection, provision for his people in these pillars of fire. That's this angel's legs. Fifth reason I think it's Jesus, he absolutely dominates all creation Um, The land and the sea are under his feet. In the Old Testament, something being under your feet, that's Old Testament image for victory, for control. Uh, This is a picture of the reign of Christ over all things. Number six, he has a voice like a lion. Well, back in Revelation 5.5, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the only one worthy to take the scroll. And so we think of the power of Jesus as our king. So there's six reasons I think this angel signifies Jesus. Finally, the seventh. You might ask, well, if it's Jesus, why call him an angel? It's a good question. Angel can mean messenger, but there's also this idea in this passage of a mystery revealed. You see that down in Revelation 10, 7. There's this promise that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. 
So God has announced this mystery already, if we're wondering what it is. We just need, we need to read what the apostles and prophets said, and you start unpacking what this mystery might be. Let me give you one example, Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 10. There, the apostle Paul writes, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here's the mystery revealed. All of history is aiming at this one goal. Jesus Christ glorified as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will explicitly reign forever over all things, and he actually reigns even now. So I think this is a picture of Jesus. And the reason I've called it, you need the the cosmic Christ is because the dictionary gives these synonyms for cosmic, vast, huge, immense, enormous, massive, colossal, prodigious, immeasurable, incalculable, unfathomable. That's our Jesus towering over the earth. Uh, And even if we're not meant to see this angel as Christ himself, at least this angel represents him closely. And the point is the same. Remember, the question we're answering is, how is it that we can keep speaking the truth of Jesus Christ and his word to a world that doesn't want to hear it? And the first answer is this, you've got to see how amazing he is. You've got to be thrilled with how marvelous he is. You've got to know how preeminent he is. You've got to see how he dominates all things, how all things are for him. We have a massive cosmic Christ. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's the eternal son of God who rose from the dead and reigns now. You know, we hear a lot of talk today about being on the right side of history. I don't always know how to answer that question except to answer it like this. The the way to be on the right side of history is to be pleasing to Jesus Christ. He is the right side of history. One day he will return and judge all things and renew all things. And only one thing will matter in that moment when it comes to all history is, were you pleasing to Jesus Christ? Did you know Jesus Christ? Did you glorify Jesus Christ? And we can sense this. The smaller Jesus is to our hearts, the harder it will be to speak for him and be like him when it's hard. The more majestic Jesus is to our minds and hearts, the more we will have courage to want to stand with and for him, be faithful to him. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 9, 26. Luke 9, 26, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What a sobering thought, Jesus coming in his glory, the glory of the Father, the glory of his angels. Oh, have mercy. Let me not be one who was ashamed of him or of any of his words. I do not want Jesus to be ashamed of me. 
No, this is what we want, Matthew 25, 23. In this parable, Jesus is speaking of the faithful servant, 25, 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. And so if your vision of Christ is big and the reality of standing before him is important, Oh, you'll have, won't you? You'll have a courage to speak his truth, to speak it faithfully, even in a world that doesn't want to hear it. So that's the first thing. We've got to see our cosmic Christ. Second, we need to see the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises. So we get down into verse 3 and 4. There's this, very strangely, curiously, there's this additional set of seven. You get, uh, when Jesus calls out, or the angel, these seven thunders sound. Then verse 4, when the seven thunders had sounded, John's about to write. So evidently he understood things from this new set of seven. He's about to write, but then a voice from heaven actually says, you know what? Seal that up. Don't write it down. So here we are as readers left with this additional set of sevens that we now know exist, but we have no idea what they mean. In fact, it seems like we're not supposed to. So what are we supposed to do with that? There's a couple ways I think this is working in the passage. Number one, the Bible never tells you everything you want to know. Have you noticed that? There's going to be lots of questions you have about what the Bible says. Uh, maybe, maybe it didn't answer how, it, how whatever it was worked in this story or that. There's going to be lots of questions about our lives we don't get answers to in detail. The Bible never tells you everything you want to know. But you can bet your life on this. The Bible does tell you everything you need to know. And there are things going on that Jesus knows, that Jesus is in charge of, that God is sovereign over for his glory and our good, and we don't know them. And that's okay. We're not supposed to. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So it's a great reminder of our hearts to focus on that which we are most responsible for and to cling to the truth that has been given. It's enough. But there's more here. I think the emphasis on this seven sevens is, uh, leads into this principle that this angel, which may be Jesus Christ, he is saying, listen, church, God is faithful, and he will surely keep his promises. Because what happens immediately after that is this angel raises his right hand to heaven and swears by God the Father, the eternal one, the creator and he, what is it that he swears? He takes an oath. His oath is this, there will be no more delay. But when that seventh trumpet blows, the mystery of God will be fulfilled and he will keep every one of his promises. So I think the idea goes like this. Even though we know there's a seventh set of thunders, we might think, oh my word, will this tribulation, persecution, difficult to go on forever? And the angel seems to be saying, no, not at all. We just heard the sixth trumpet, the seventh is right around the corner. And there's this sense of immediacy that God is eager to keep his promises for his people. 
he's, he's not waiting around for no reason. Uh, the trials won't go on forever. No, God is faithful and eager to keep his promises. They will surely come to pass as quickly as is appropriate. And so you th- we see, I think, God swearing by himself that he will surely keep his promises for his people. We see this in other places in Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 6, 17 to 18 is one example. Hebrews 6, 17 reads, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The angel here is emphasizing God's eagerness to keep his promises for his people. The point is this, God is faithful. He's so faithful to his word. He's so faithful to keep his promises. His word is true and he will keep every promise with perfection. Evil will be defeated. His people will be vindicated. Those who trust in Christ will be saved. They will be satisfied in him forever. God is fundamentally faithful. To speak God's word when it's difficult, you need to know this. You need to have a deep trust that his word is true. His promises are life. That the gospel saves you have, to, you have to have a knowledge of the faithfulness of God in keeping his word. So I just wonder for you right now, how is your relationship with the Bible? Maybe you're plagued with certain doubts or confusion. Uh, maybe there's reasons you're struggling to trust it. Then obviously, if you're struggling to trust it, you're going to really struggle to, to speak it. You're going to struggle to share it. Uh, if that's you, reach out. I'd love to talk with you about God's word, about the gospel. We'd love to try to help your confidence grow in God's word so that we could be more and more faithful in sharing it. So to speak hard words in a hard world, we need to see the cosmic Christ. We need to trust the absolute faithfulness of God to keep his promises. Two things to see, now two things to be. In verses 8 to 10, we see this strange image of of John taking the scroll from the angel and eating it, and the scroll is both delicious like honey and bitter, horribly bitter. And I think we learn two things from this image. Number one, to share God's word faithfully, even when it's difficult, before you share his word, you need to eat his word. And you need to eat his word with a humble, hungry heart. You've got to eat his word with a humble, hungry heart. You know, many times the Bible compares itself to food, just like material food feeds and satisfies your belly, giving you physical life. God's word is spiritual food that feeds and satisfies your soul, giving you spiritual life and fellowship with him through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that way, to know God, to be known by God, to, be, to fellowship with him, in that way, God's word is so, so sweet. 
It leads to the gospel, the power of God for salvation for all who believes. It's so sweet to know God through Jesus Christ. Jesus even talked this way about the Bible, didn't he? Uh, In one of his hardest moments of being tempted by Satan himself, his response to Satan's temptation, Matthew 4.4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus said to the tempter, I'm not eating what you're selling, right? I'm not eating the meal you're offering. Instead, I'm eating what God has said. That's my satisfaction. That's my life. In reference to the scroll being like honey, that reminds us of what so many of the Psalms say. Here's one example, Psalm 19, verse 7. Psalm 19, 7. There the psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. Verse 10, they're more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. It was fascinating for me to read a little bit about how honey in its edible form is maybe the only food that never spoils. Did you know that? It's remarkable due to its low moisture, evidently, and its acidity. It remains preserved seemingly forever. And wonderfully, that's what the Bible compares itself to. Honey. The Bible never spoils. It is always sweet for those who come to it by faith in that it's sweet in enabling us to know and have fellowship be transformed by the living God. So we see, to speak God's truth faithfully, you're going to need to eat it faithfully with a humble, hungry heart. So I just, I just ask you real quick, what is your heart eating lately? You see this reality that we eat ideas? We meditate on what is said, what is written, and it forms us. Your heart and your mind is being formed every day by what you take in. It's forming your attitude towards the world, your attitude towards others, what you think the good life is all about. You're being formed. And what you find sweet, you're gonna praise. And it's hard to praise what you don't love, what you don't eat. So this question for us, are you hungry for God's word? Is it the major factor forming you? Is it what you're feeding yourself with? And then does that come out in sharing it faithfully? To faithfully share God's word in a world that doesn't always want to hear it, we need to have a humble, hungry heart. See the cosmic Christ, see the faithfulness of God, eat God's word with a humble, hungry heart. That takes us to our last principle for this morning. To speak God's word faithfully in a world that doesn't always want to hear it, we need to embrace a cruciform calling. Uh, As we see in verses 10 to 11, When John ate the scroll, it was sweet as honey in his mouth, but when he ate it, his stomach was bitter. It hurt. And then the bitterness is shown, perhaps, 
in verse 11. You have to keep speaking God's word to a world that often does not want to hear it. So we see that speaking God's word can sometimes be bitter. Why? I think there's one major reason for the bitterness. It calls you to die. God's word is calling you to die. Now it's calling you to die to yourself so that you can truly live. It's calling you to live. But on the way, it's calling you to die. There's two ways death by the Bible, I think, can be bitter. The death of exposure, the death of response. First, let's think about the death of exposure, the way the Bible calls us to die. If you're going to humbly and humbly seek God through his word, you will get exposed. Uh, For those of you who are Christians listening, you know this. You will see sometimes in horrible ways your own sin, your own need, your own brokenness. And for some people, this is too much right here. They're, They're out. It's too painful. But this, you've got to, this idea of you've got to die to live, it's true in conversion, isn't it? I mean, when we trust ourselves to Christ, that's because we have seen ourselves in a new way that we are sinners and we need him. And so we die fundamentally to our self-autonomy, our pride, our self-righteousness. We die so that we can trust in him. He makes us alive. It's also true in sanctification, right? Now that we are Christians, we want to grow in being like Jesus. And we see we need to keep repenting ourselves. In fact, if we don't keep repenting ourselves, how can we faithfully call anyone else to repent? You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? It's this really funny, profound illustration Jesus says, why don't you take the log out of your own eye before you get the splinter out of somebody else's? And this this hilarious, really, illustration of of someone with a telephone pole coming out of their head trying to do eye surgery on someone else. That's what it's like when we try to speak the truth without being exposed to the truth first ourselves. There's a death that needs to happen so that we can live. The Bible exposes us. And maybe the Bible is exposing you in some way right now. You know what God is saying to you about how you've been living or not living or thinking or not thinking or feeling or not feeling. And and you're feeling that conviction. And you haven't quite yet submitted that to him yet. You haven't quite repented yet. And you're going to know that bitterness. But of course, uh, the major bitterness of this passage is the bitterness that comes in needing to expose others. This bitterness metaphor comes in part from the prophet Jeremiah and uh, mainly Ezekiel, chapters two to three. And boy, if you read those guys, you, you know, dear God, thank you, I'm not Jeremiah. Thank you, I'm not Ezekiel. Their callings were bitter because as much as they love God's word, In general, no one was going to listen to them. Ezekiel 2, verse 7, God says this to the prophet, You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. 
So Ezekiel, he's got to eat God's word. He's got to submit himself to God's word. He's going to have to preach God's word, and in many ways, people don't want to hear it. It's going to be painful for him. And we remember the reality that every culture, every nation, every place has ways it's closer to the gospel and its truth and ways it's farther from the gospel and its truth. So if you say, for instance, uh, slavery is evil, um, maybe some systems around the world will give you trouble for that. You say that here, people in our context generally agree with you. I've never had anyone call me and say, I disagreed with you when you said slavery was evil. That's easy for our culture. Praise God. But, for instance, here, if you start talking about the biblical description of God's design for gender and sexuality and how that practice is meant to glorify the gospel, buckle up. It's going to be bitter. And so we just remember, we have to share all of God's truth, even the parts of God's truth that are going to be hard. Here's things that are good and true and hard. The wages of sin is death. Repentance and faith in Christ alone is necessary to be right with a holy God. Those who trust Jesus will be changed from the heart to want to live in obedience to his word. It's true, it's good, but it exposes. And that bitterness of, of exposure can lead to the bitter response. We know that from Ezekiel's life, from Jeremiah's life. We know it from John's life. He was exiled. We know it. From Paul's life, we know what Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.8. This is that cruciform calling. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Proclaim it. Sometimes that will bring pain. Embrace it. It's normal. Embrace it by the power of God. This is why I say that to speak God's word faithfully, we need to embrace a cruciform calling. In that Timothy passage, we share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And we realize Jesus suffered in the gospel by the power of God to save us. He went first. Our calling is cruciform, the shape of the cross, because that's what Jesus did for us. It's a massive theme in Revelation. Jesus went first. Look at Revelation 1, 5 to 6. John says, grace from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to whom who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Jesus was the first faithful witness. In love, he told the truth. He loved his enemies. He died for his enemies on the cross. That's how he saved us. He lived a perfect life for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. It was through the cross Jesus received the crown. And that's how it will work for us as well.
It's through the cross we receive the crown. If you're not a Christian, hey, here's the gospel invitation. Look to Jesus and what he's done. His life is enough to make you righteous with a holy God. His death on the cross was substitutionary. If you trust in him, you can know he paid for your sins. He bought your forgiveness. His resurrection was victorious. If you trust in him, God's promises for you are sure. Jesus reigns for your good and his glory. Believe on his name. Be a child of God. And know that those who are children of God are also priests of God. Like Jesus, following the pattern of his faithful witness. We are to be like Jesus in his first coming. We don't kill our enemies. We die for them. Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, to pray for them, to bless them, and to preach God's word faithfully in a world that doesn't want to hear it. We need to embrace that cruciform calling, the cross before the crown. You know, anytime I want to I talk about preaching faithfully in a world that doesn't want to hear it, I feel like I need to say to myself and to everyone, beware of the martyrdom syndrome. You know what that is? That's when Christians tell their truth like jerks, misrepresent God's word with their method, if not their message, and then feel like a hero because no one wants to talk to them anymore. And then that person can think, hey, I'm being persecuted. And someone else might want to say, no, people are actually fleeing the persecutor. It's you. The cruciform calling in being faithful witnesses will look different. It'll have a humility to it. It'll have a gentleness to it, a love to it, a willingness to die for others, not to trounce on others. The Apostle Peter speaks to this issue precisely. Uh, he's writing to a nearly the same audience as in Revelation, though earlier perhaps. 1 Peter 3.14, Peter says, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. He continues, yet do it with, what? Gentleness and respect. Let's just pause right here. Friends, this is God's law. This is God's word. When we are so passionate about our knowledge of God's truth and his word that we deny gentleness and respect, we might be condemning others for their sins, but as we do that, we're sinning. Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Our method must always be good behavior and godly character. So that even as we share the truth, we do our best to let the truth offend and not who, are, who we are and how we share it do the offending. You know, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, the Lord of the Rings has taught us you can't beat Sauron with his own ring. We can't beat evil with pride and self-righteousness. 
We want to embrace the example of Christ as we speak his truth. We want to embrace the cruciform calling cross before the crown. So we are called to be faithful witness, faithful witnesses for Jesus. We have hard words for a hard world, but we can speak them because we have a huge God. So we need to see the cosmic Christ the massive glory of our Savior. We need to trust the absolute faithfulness of God to keep his word. We need to eat God's word with a humble heart, knowing its sweetness, and we need to embrace the cruciform nature of our calling. We die to live. Cross before the crown. We repent before we call others to repentance. We follow Christ's lead, knowing he died for us, we who were his enemies. As a faithful witness, we die to ourselves for others so that they and we can truly live as well. Let's be faithful witnesses for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you confessing our sin. You alone know our fear, our pride, our difficulty, the pain we face uh, in this world in relationships. We need you. We need you. Please heal our hearts. Help us to be humble before you, Lord. We confess our sins, and we thank you for the forgiveness and cleansing that is found in Christ. And we want to be bold, faithful witnesses to you in our lives, our context. Lord, grow us in that, we pray. We ask uh, for the people in our world around us uh, where we have influence, where we can communicate, that you would help us to be good witnesses of the gospel, both in our words and in our character. Uh, and we thank you most of all for the ultimate faithful witness, the Lord Jesus, who always told the truth and who died for us to save us so that we could belong to him. Help us look to him, be satisfied in him, comforted in him, find our strength in him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.